You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 79, speaking French and Japanese. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. I'm so happy to have this conversation with my guest this week, Danielle, the host of Young, Gifted, and Abroad podcast about her languages of French and Japanese. In this episode, Danielle talks to us about how her interest in Japanese and French grew, starting from the classroom and into anime theme songs and French language cartoons. She tells us how she went to college intending on having a study abroad experience and ended up at an immersive program in Japan for one year and in another year at a summer internship in Paris. We talk about what the immersive language experience is like and how being in this situation can be both humbling and emboldening. Danielle talks to us about how she's able to maintain a connection with French and with Japanese while here living in the U.S. And we talk about being Black language learners and how an Afro-Japanese singer had an impact on her wanting to learn Japanese. Big thank you to Danielle for sharing your language journey with us. And if you're interested in a study abroad experience, please be sure to listen to Young, Gifted, and Abroad podcast for inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts, or like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now support the show on buymeacoffee.com. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here today with Danielle. How are you today, Danielle? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm so happy to talk with you today. And I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? My first language is English. And I have also learned French and Japanese in that order. (laughs) What languages did you hear, I guess, spoken in your home and in your community when you were growing up? Uh, So in my home, it was all English. Um, We, I grew up in a very diverse area in a very diverse public school district. So I was aware that there are people from all over who spoke different languages. But as far as my house, my household went, it was all English. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I was exposed to the most. What other languages were there in, I guess, in that community, in that school district? Well, Um, Not too far away from our subdivision, there's a subdivision that has a really large South Asian population. So from like middle school, I mean, really from elementary through high school, you know, I was used to seeing Indian and other South Asian people um, just around or even, you know, as classmates and whatnot. Um, And so I, you know, didn't know what languages they were speaking. Like, I didn't recognize them, obviously, but I just was aware, like, okay, they they come from somewhere else or their parents come from somewhere else. And 
Um, and when they're just speaking to each other, they speak their own language. It's like, okay, you know, that's, that's, that's just something that I observed at the time when I was younger. There's a significant Latino population as well. Um, where I live, um, so I'm in like the Metro Detroit area, so I'm in the suburbs. And uh, where I grew up is, um, is right on the edge of another suburb that is mostly black. So my area also had like a ton of, of you know, black families and black kids at our school. So, um, which added to the school being more diverse, but of course we were all mostly speaking English as well. I think mm-hmm. I had a neighbor up the street. They were from, um, I think the father was from Africa and I never spoke to him, but I was just aware that, oh, he's from somewhere else as well, you know? So, right. Uh, yeah, that's as much as I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> on the spot at least. <laughs> what was your experience like learning languages in school? Um, what languages were you offered? What languages were available to for students to learn? Um, so, well, at first I, I have to say that my interest in French and Japanese actually came from outside of school. Um, oh. I guess I should have mentioned when I was talking about the household thing that like my interest in French and Japanese came from cartoons um so cool so you know that was something that I had like found on my own it wasn't like a staple around the house in terms of exposure to other languages but um uh yeah with with French it was uh Madeline I don't know if you've ever heard of it um I think it was originally a book series like a Belgian or it was written by a Belgian guy children's book series and then it turned into an animated children's show and that's what um (laughs) I'm just thinking, um, you know, it's about these orphans in Paris and they had this thing they would always say at the end of the episode when all the girls were going to bed and it would be like, we love our bread, we love our butter, but most of all, we love each other. It was so cute. That's adorable. And and that's when I first, you know, got exposed to or even became aware of like this place called Paris and people speak with these funny accents and say funny words and oh they're speaking French like you know that was that was when I even became exposed to the concept of there being a place called France that exists and a language called French that exists and then also and then Japanese came later in high school I was like into anime but it wasn't the anime itself it was the theme songs that I got exposed to and I was like oh like this is what the theme songs sound like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know what they're singing, but, um, you know, I want to know what they're saying in these shows as well. And that's what got me interested in high school. So, you know, my interest in initially started outside of school, but um, in school, uh, in elementary school at the time, uh, <laughs> I feel, I feel so bad because I, I don't know what funding is like or what it is now for kids in public school trying to learn languages, but at the time, they had this program going where um, elementary school students could learn uh, either French or Spanish after school. Um, it was like an like an extra activity that their parents could sign them up for. Oh, wow. So, uh, and yeah, so by kindergarten, I, I had decided I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to learn French. And then I think it was either second and third or second and fourth grade. Um, I know I took that after school French class for two years. I just can't remember which specific years I did that. And so, you know, that was a really nice introduction. You know, we just learned, um, you know, basic words, names of colors, names of animals, names of family members. We might've learned like 
little phrases here and there um, or cute little songs, like especially having to do with like the holiday season or songs that are, you know, made up to help kids learn French, that type of thing. Right. I just remember thoroughly enjoying that. I know that the French, um, I feel like both of those got phased out at some point. I think the French got phased out earlier than the Spanish did because French was, uh, had fewer students. Mm. I can't remember how many were there the first year I did it, but I know the second year that I did it, it ended up being just me and one other girl who were doing it, um, like who were showing up regularly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, that was really great. I felt like, oh yeah, I wanted to learn this language. Now I'm starting to learn this language. It's so exciting. And um, I think the French teacher during the second year that I did that program, she said something like, something about how I had a really nice speaking voice or something, Mm -hmm. or maybe how I had a nice accent in French. I can't remember what she said. Something about the way I sounded when I spoke. She said something positive and I was like, oh, okay, well, if the French teacher thinks I'm good, then I, I guess I must be good, you know, and I wanted to keep going. Um, yeah, so that was elementary school. Um, and then I, you know, there was like a gap of like a year or two. And then from fifth grade through um, through high school and through college, and I guess even in a way you could say now, I just have been... Um, studying French consistently since then. Like I was always, I was in a French class every year from fifth grade through college. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So fifth grade, fifth and sixth grade, because our school had like K through four and then a school for five and six mm-hmm. and then a school for seven and eight and then a school for nine through 12. Um, I think they've consolidated the middle years, but at the time that's what it was. I don't remember much about, um, French in middle school, although I did have um, a French teacher in middle school who did like me a lot. I think her name was Ms. Baker or something. <laughs> um, and then in high school, yeah, I um, also had the French teacher there also liked me a lot as well. And I think she she was so passionate. I think the middle school teacher was the same, but I had obviously more time with my high school French teacher and she was so passionate and she was so um she wasn't one of those teachers, like, obviously, she loved the students that took to the language really well, like me, but she wasn't the type of person who would, like, mistreat or dismiss students who weren't getting it, you know? Mm-hmm. She just wanted everybody to learn the language and, and wanted everybody to find something about the language that they could connect to. Right. Um, and her name was, um, was Mrs. Nork. Oh, that was her maiden name. Um, well, yeah, we'll just go with that. Mrs. Nork, she was amazing. I think, um, she might still be teaching. I don't know, but yeah, she, she really encouraged me a lot. Yeah. She, she was really encouraging and, and wanted me to continue studying French, which I already knew I wanted to do when I went off to college. Um, and then, yeah, so Japanese started in high school and that was, you know, when I got exposed to, to anime and especially anime theme songs and, you're asking what our school offered. So elementary school, we had like an after school thing for French and Spanish that parents could sign their kids up for. Middle school was basically middle school and high school or, you know, fifth grade all the way to 12th grade. It was French, German, and Spanish that was available in our schools. 
so you know i i took french obviously i think i might have also taken spanish as an elective for like one semester or, or something in middle school so don't ask me <laughs> I, i don't know any spanish i learned how to roll my r's really well and that's basically all i remember from taking spanish in middle school um yeah and so so you know i in high school i wanted to learn japanese but our school didn't offer it but um we had this thing called dual enrollment where a lot of times if students wanted to, you know, especially for let's say math, if a student was like really advanced in math and, you know, even if like AP wasn't enough for them or um, they just wanted to uh, continue to challenge themselves in math or another subject, um, or if they were like an honors student and they just wanted to try and get some gen ed credits out of the way before going to college or just make themselves seem more appealing when in their college applications what they would do is dual enrollment where um they could take class or two at a local university that was near us so like part of your schedule you know your day-to-day high school schedule would be blocked out for dual enrollment and during mm-hmm. that time you would be you would be in class um, at the local university So I don't remember how I learned I could do that for languages. I don't know if I figured it out myself or maybe I asked a guidance counselor. I I don't remember, but um, that's what I did uh, was take Japanese at a local university. And that was after already trying to like teach myself what I could online, like trying to learn the the script and everything and teaching myself how to write and trying to (laughs) teach myself different words and whatnot. Um, You know, my formal education in Japanese started in um, high school. I think it was senior year. That sounds like a really wonderful opportunity. And I wanted to just take a step back and ask about the Japanese anime theme songs, because Mm -hmm. I don't don't know anything about anime. My brother is really into anime. Mm -hmm. And I know a number of people who are. And I, the little bits and pieces that I've seen I feel like, and just correct me if I'm wrong, because mm-hmm. I may be under the wrong impression the whole the this whole time. I thought that Japanese cartoons were dubbed over in English in the U.S. So, so when you were listening to, or you were when you were watching them, were mm-hmm. were they in the original Japanese? Uh, so at first, no. Um, I at first got exposed to them um, on Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. Right. Um, so and so they would be playing the English dub, but the the songs were still like they didn't change the songs at all. It's not like they they re-recorded the songs in English. Mm, um, okay. So all the theme songs were still in Japanese, while the you know what I was watching, what they were airing on TV was the English dub. I think at some point I had found um, where I could watch it with the Japanese sub, um, like you know online and stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. you 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 are correct in terms of like airing on TV, especially on a channel like um, Adult Swim or Cartoon Network. Yeah, everything right. the dialogue was in English for sure. Which cartoons are we talking about? Inuyasha was the the main one. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, I don't know what it was about that show, uh, but that one really well. It was the music. Yeah, the music on Inuyasha, like the theme songs. Because uh, I don't know if you know, but like a lot of times with anime especially if they're long running, they, they will switch out the theme songs after a certain amount of time. Okay. Um, so 
so then you'll have this collection of, of music associated with this show. Um, and so Inuyasha was on for a really long time and they had a lot of different theme songs <laughs> and something about that show really, um, really sucked me in. There was a song called Every Heart that really was really popular that I really liked. There was another one called um, uh, Fukai Mori or Deep Forest that also I really loved. Um, yeah, so Inuyasha was one. Uh, Death Note was up there. I don't know if I was really into the music because it was kind of like screamo or whatnot, but um, the show I thought was was fantastic. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think, Blood Plus. I don't know if people remember Blood Plus. That was about vampires. Whoa! <laughs> I started out really being into anime, and then I kind of like I guess maybe I grew out of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't watch it as avidly as I used to, but um. Yeah, there were so many great ones. There's one that's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. But um, Bleach, that's a super popular one that a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. Naruto as well. Um, yeah, so especially if they were long running, then right. that meant they had like more songs to offer and I guess more ways to engage people. Like people like me who weren't interested in anime at all. And I, I guess I at the time I also thought it was kind of like weird or uninteresting. <laughs> but somehow the music is what drew me in, you know. Okay. So <laughs> you studied French um, mostly throughout your academic career, and then mm-hmm. Japanese. So when you got to that point um, after that year, when you were taking the Japanese at the college, how did you continue your Japanese study? I went to. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't mind saying I went to Michigan State University and I picked that school because um, I couldn't <laughs> earlier in high school. I thought, oh, I love France. Let, let me see if I can try to study in a, in a French speaking country. And I was looking at schools in France and schools in, um, in, um, in Quebec as well. And if I wanted to go to school out of the country, I was going to have to like figure out how to pay for it myself and I wasn't trying to do that so I picked (laughs) picked MSU instead that ended up being like the most affordable option but also because MSU is known for having a lot of languages you can study and it's also known for having a lot of study abroad programs Mm -hmm. and those are both things that I was interested in so uh, at MSU I knew I knew I was going to major in French I knew I was going to major in um, political science basically Mm -hmm. that's like the general term for what my my program was and then I was like well I just want to keep studying Japanese for as long as I can so um I think I had to take a placement test for both languages for some reason I don't remember my French placement test but I'm sure there was one and then for Japanese I guess I I still had to take a placement test to verify what what level I was supposed to be placed in Mm -hmm. um so I did that and then I just I just continued with both of them Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was taking French and Japanese like, you know, every year. And then um, one summer I uh, I knew I was going to study abroad. I even got a thankfully got a scholarship specifically for study abroad uh, because I was like within the honors college at MSU. They had like a special uh, scholarship program that was meant for like students doing stuff abroad. So I knew I was going to do that. Um yeah, so I basically was just, you know, my, my from in my head, it was a given that I was just going to be taking French and Japanese throughout my university years. Right. That was a priority for me. I went to Japan first, 
I can't remember why I ended up going to Japan first, but I did. And that was summer after sophomore year, I think. Mm-hmm. For Japan, I went to a place called Hikone. I, free, I feel like not a lot of people outside of Michigan know this place. <laughs> Sometimes some Japanese people don't even know where this place is. Where is it? But it's, um, it's in a prefecture. Um, I'm sure someone has like told you before, but Japan is divided up into prefectures. Right. Um, so it's in this prefecture called Shiga. And Shiga, I think, has a sister-state relationship with the state of Michigan. Okay. Um, but they're known for Shiga is one of the things they're known for is having the biggest lake in Japan within it. Mm. And Hikone is right on that lake. Okay. Um, so um so it makes sense that it's sisters with Michigan. Yes. Yeah, right. exactly. Because <laughs> we have all of these lakes here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So um MSU, there's this program called the uh, Japan Center for Michigan Universities. And I think their U.S. headquarters was on MSU's campus. So I guess for me, that was just the easy option to choose. In hindsight, I realized I didn't really think about, look at other options and stuff. Um, Mm. Maybe I should have, I don't know. But it was like, you know, this is right here. Um, You know, so I'll just go with with this thing that I know that is available to me. Right. Um, so yeah, the the Japan Center for Michigan Universities or JCMU campus was um, in Hikone in um, Shiga Prefecture, so that's where I was um, pretty much all summer, just like studying Japanese and stuff. Um, I think it was called intensive intensive language and culture. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that. Um, it was nice because I knew a lot of people from MSU. A lot of people from MSU had come there. Um, it's open to anyone, but you get like some, I think you get like, a, maybe it's less expensive. Like maybe you get some money off if you're from a, Michi- uh, a, a university in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, because like I said, the U.S. headquarters was at MSU. So there was a, a lot of MSU students there. And I don't know. I mean, we'll probably talk about this later, but I just want to note that I, I think I was one of two black people in the program mm-hmm. and I was the only black girl mm-hmm. at the time. They have all kinds of people come, but at the time it was, I was the only black girl around, <laughs> um, at least, you know, on that campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by that time I was doing 400 level, which was really challenging, but also really lonely because I ended up being the only one in that class. Really? Everyone else was too scared. There were other people who had tested into that level, but I think they were like, oh, it might be too difficult. And I want to have time to like, hang out with friends or explore. Mm. <laughs> so I ended up being the only one in that class. So it was weird. It was almost like I had private tutoring all day, even though, you know, these are professors who were going around teaching all the other levels, like mm-hmm. going between classrooms, but it ended up just being like one-on-one for me. <laughs> so, did, so did you still have the opportunity to explore Japan and to immerse yourself in Japanese culture? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think maybe I didn't have as much time to just um, because I know some of the some of the other students there, they would go to because Hikone, I think the the closest major city is Kyoto. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they would go to Kyoto and Osaka is also not far from Kyoto either. So they would go to either of those two cities to, to shop and or just to hang out. And I couldn't just like go you know, commute all that way in the train just to like hang out. I think I probably wasn't even interested in doing that 
anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> you know, yeah, I made I made my way around. I think we all or a lot of us as a group went to Nagoya. Mm-hmm. I think Nagoya, that was the first trip that I went on outside of Hikone. We did a day trip and that was really nice. Um you know, being in a major city in Japan, because Hikone is like, it's not the boonies, but you know, it's still kind of (laughs) rural, you know. (laughs) So Nagoya was like the first major city that I went to. And I and I think I was afraid to travel alone. So I'm glad that first experience was with a group of people, because then I could Mm. get used to like how that goes, you know, riding the train and then figuring out the, the metro in within that, you know, larger city and going here and there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also went to Kyoto and Osaka like a few times, I think. I mm-hmm. think I did end up going by myself to each of those places on one occasion or another. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's the base, the area that I pretty much stayed around was like Hikone, Nagoya, Kyoto, Osaka. I didn't mm-hmm. go to Tokyo because it was, I think you had to take an overnight bus and you know, as long as it took to get there, you could only really have a couple of days and then you'd have to come right back. And right. I just, I didn't right. think that would be worth it. And mm-hmm. I, I also didn't really think I had the time. So, you know, maybe I didn't have as much free time because the level I was in was so demanding. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I still got out. I still even just, you know, explored the town we were in, um, you know, when I could. So I don't, yeah, I don't really feel like I missed out in that regard. Okay. Also, if I'm being honest, I'm I tend to be really shy in like new <laughs> situations and around new people. So it, it would have taken me some time to feel like get the gumption to, you know, mm. get out there anyway. So right. Yeah. And did you have a study abroad experience with French? Yeah. So um some after junior year, I went to uh Paris. So this was another program that MSU had available, but it wasn't as like, it wasn't as like centralized, you know, they have like a, there's like a center in Hikone that you can go to if that's where you want to go to study Japanese. Whereas well, the Paris one was more so an, an internship program than like a traditional study abroad program. Oh. So we, um, I can't remember what the organization was called. I think it was called EUSA um, or USA or USA, I don't know if they pronounced the acronym that way, but it was EUSA, that was the name of the organization Mm -hmm. that would place college students in internship programs in Europe. I think that was their focus. And so, um, you know, so MSU had a relationship with that organization. And so through that, you know, did this program in Paris. The first two weeks we had French classes, I think, to help us get acclimated with being in the city. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the summer was... um, was doing this internship. Um, But then we still had this, I guess, you know, study element to it because um, I think for my French degree and my political science degree, I had to like keep a log or some sort or write Mm -hmm. an essay or some sort at the end of it, you know, so it was still educational and it was an an internship for, you know, like college credit. So there was still that element to it, even though it wasn't like us being in the classroom Mm-hmm. every day in that instance it was only three people from MSU who went like including myself who who did that particular program that summer mm-hmm. um and I was the only black person out of those three people and my host family was white also but mm-hmm. you know the advantage of being in Paris is like it's all kinds of people in Paris and mm-hmm. there's lots of black people in Paris too so oh, yeah. you know that was that was um 
I didn't feel like I <laughs> stood out as much as I did um, right. in Japan, right. you know. Right. In Paris, I know that their French is very, it's not only very fast, but it's also very, there's a lot of slang. There's a lot of, mm. you know, colloquialism. What was that experience like being in Paris and I guess walking around or hearing or even communicating with people and they have their their own way of speaking that is you know most likely not heard in the classroom yeah so I think Paris it wasn't the issue I had wasn't so much understanding the exact words that people said like obviously you know I didn't know everything there was to know in the language it's not like I knew all the French vocab there was to know but it was the as you mentioned the fast talking that I had struggled with because <laughs> people would talk and I didn't I didn't catch all of what they were saying you know you have to learn to listen fast right and then once you can listen fast then you can speak a little quickly or mm -hmm. a little quicker you know yeah. but you have to be able to listen and understand fast first <laughs> <laughs> I remember there's um speaking about the internship like um I was at like a, an arts nonprofit, and they oh, man. I mean, I know it's typical, you know, admin duty, especially if you're an intern, but I had to answer phones. Now, why they would put the only American person mm -mm. on phone duty when all the other interns and everyone else there is French, I don't know. <laughs> maybe they thought it would be amusing or maybe they thought it would be like, you know, a, a nice challenge in terms of like, you know, my listening comprehension. I don't know. I don't know. But I, a lot of times I was put on phone duty <laughs> and people would call and I would answer the phone and um I couldn't understand them because they were talking so fast and I would ask them to repeat themselves and then they would get like annoyed mm -hmm. um and my host mom helped me understand that like you know if they're talking to you and you keep asking them to repeat themselves and they know they're speaking clearly they're gonna think that there's something wrong with you or you're messing with them because they they don't there's you know, because they're speaking clearly and in their mind, there's no reason why there should be an issue communicating here because they've made themselves clear. And so why are you acting like you don't understand the words that are coming out of their mouth? Right. And she said, you know, what you have to do. So my accent was decent. So they didn't know right away that I wasn't American. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so she said, you have to tell them you're American and that I forgot what exactly she said. But if you explain to them that you're American and maybe even ask them to speak a little slower, then they'll be they will likely be more receptive mm -hmm. um but just asking them to repeat themselves is gonna is gonna um you know tick them off basically because it's, yeah. it's not gonna make any sense yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah I the fast talking was really you know especially maybe that's a thing in major cities in general is that people talk faster like the pace of life is faster mm -hmm. but yeah in Paris it's like <laughs> Yeah, you have to, you really have to pick up the pace and that really starts with being able to um, listen faster, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And never thought about having to listen faster. Mm -hmm. Like, how would I train myself to listen faster? Like, how does it happen? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> only thing I can say is, is just like exposure, a lot of exposure. Um mm -hmm. Because like if you're listening to people talk a lot, maybe you don't understand what they're saying, but then you pick out patterns. Um, and of course, you, you pick out words that you do know mm. and like you're piecing things together. And then eventually, um, and that's 
another thing about language in general, in my head, I, I always think, oh, I have to know everything about the language. I, know, I need to know all the words and all the grammar and everything in the language. Otherwise, I'm not, I can't say that I'm good in the language mm-hmm. or, or I'm fluent in the language. But a lot of times, no matter what language people are speaking, there like, are set phrases that people use every day. That's like true. the day-to-day things that people say, it's not like, you know, like even you and me, we're not using all the words in the English dictionary when we're talking on a day-to-day basis, you know? Right, right. Um, so you get used to hearing certain things over and over and then you just, I don't know, I guess you pick it up, pick up that same pattern yourself and you're able to like step in and in, in line with the pace of the way people are communicating. Natakella. Learn a language, make a friend, change a life. Did you know over a third of the modern day English words come from French? Oui, that's right. You're already speaking more French than you think. So why not take it to the next level? Learn to speak like a native with Natakelam's tutors from displaced backgrounds. French is not your cup of tea? Try one of their 16 other languages and regional dialects. Speaking Tongues listeners get a special 10% off with the code SPEAKING10 at natakelam.com. Natakelam, learn a language, make a friend, change a life. No, but it makes sense. And and I think I was just picking up on the, the way you said to listen faster Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that I struggle with like I have practice with a language partner in Italian every week and sometimes because we've been talking for over six months so when he will say something to me in Italian like he's talking to me like we we just ran into each other on the street and we're old pals (laughs) and I understand everything that he's saying and I always have to ask him like wait a minute I got maybe 30% of that. Just say it again, but say it a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. And then I can, you know, I pick out maybe, (laughs) I feel like it's like watching like a, like Formula One race or something. Like you see the car going by and you're like, you recognize it, but before you get a chance to process it, the next car is going by, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I, I did pick up on that phrase that you said that. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's something I need to focus on (laughs) this, like, (laughs) (laughs) trying to process this information information faster and you're right I think it's just exposure you know the more you're around it and you just you get used to certain things and Mm -hmm. next thing you know you know you can do it (laughs) yeah so how did these experiences abroad um, immersed in the languages and the cultures how did they deepen your desire to want to connect with the languages and to to learn them at a at a higher level to to experience them at a higher level you know it's interesting it it was like it was humbling but emboldening at the same time because I feel like both in in Japan and in France it's like you know because I you know I would talk to people in class I'd communicate with my professors and maybe even go to language related events on campus but I wasn't always going out of my way to speak to French like native French speakers or native Japanese speakers on campus um because mm-hmm. you know I either didn't have the time or sometimes I'd be intimidated you know so you know you studying abroad and, and going to these countries for the first time it's like okay you've spent all these years learning the, this language in a classroom in a formal setting but you don't know the rhythms of life here and how language fits into that. I guess it was humbling to have to face the gaps in my knowledge 
and mm. you know not always knowing exactly what to say or not always um, understanding people right away when they say things the first time um, but you know that's the point you know I was there to learn so right. <laughs> that's okay if I didn't you know know or understand everything so it was it was being aware of that and almost having to learn I think I didn't realize until I went there and that you have to basically learn how to do daily life all over again almost mm. like a like a child mm-hmm. but in a different language <laughs> I for some reason I didn't realize that until I, I went there you know so it was very humbling in that sense but then it also was emboldening because I, I realized over time and especially as I got used to things and I learned more of the the language either in class or through the uh, you know experiences I was having that I already had a really solid foundation mm. You know, I'd spent all these years and I had so much enthusiasm and passion for languages I was learning. So I had a really solid foundation. And so it was like, okay, I'm, I'm here and I feel like I can, you know, like I'm already at a good place and I just have to um, keep, you know, try and expose myself to things or keep, you know, challenge myself to speak or, you know, to converse with people in new situations um, and it can only get better. And so that was, so that was, you know, really encouraging. It's like, okay, yeah, I don't know everything. I don't speak like a native. And um, I said that one thing and I feel like I sounded stupid and I couldn't understand what this other person was saying. And I think they got mad at me. And and that felt, that kind of sucked. That felt really bad. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, I have, I have a really solid foundation here and I can just keep improving. And I can, you know, who knows where my French or my Japanese can go. Mm -hmm. That was the. I guess the sentiment that I came away from those uh, experiences with. Right. How do you stay connected to French and Japanese now that you're living back living in the U S yeah. So, um, you know, I still keep in touch with some of the people that I met in uh, France and in Japan. Uh, It's not super often, but you know, I still try to keep in touch from time to time. I do have experience working in those respective languages languages as well which um which you know helped and also for me I remember when I was in Japan one of my professors she really valued teaching using what she called authentic materials Mm. so and I think she also had like a media studies background as well so she would often like bring in like have me watch an episode of some sort of Japanese show You know, so these are things not meant for Japanese learners, but actual, you know, Japanese people for them to to watch. So and she would use that as the basis for whatever the lesson was that day. And so, you know, um, that so I think maybe I guess that's the same approach that I take in terms of keeping in touch with my languages. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I watch a lot of Japanese dramas. I watch. uh, I don't know, for some reason, like French stuff is not as widely available, even though technically it's a, I guess, a bigger language, like used in more parts of the world than Japanese is. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so I try to watch Japanese and French film and TV. I listen to podcasts in those languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there are, for instance, like Duolingo, they have a really cool um, French podcast where they do like real life stories about French people and um but that's meant for French learners. So it's like they, I think they speak at like a medium speed or like a medium level of comprehension so that 
French learners can understand. And that's mm. a great resource, obviously. So for instance, there's like the, a show called Le Cheap, and that's a French podcast made by Black French people. And they're talking about, you know, they talk about a lot about Black American culture, um, just because I guess that's that's how influential we are, I guess. Um, but it's all in French, you know, like they're making their, it's French people making their stuff for other French people. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the name of it again? Le Cheap. So it's T... T-C-H-I-P. I think that's what they call the sound when you like kiss or suck your teeth. Yeah, that. They call that le cheap. In French, they call that le cheap. I so. need to listen to this show. I need to I think you would like this. it. I actually think you would like it. I'm glad that that actually came to mind because I think that is something you would enjoy. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, film and TV, uh, podcasts in French and or Japanese. I think I changed my po- my Facebook to French like years ago and then just never changed it back so <laughs> there's that I follow a lot of different uh news accounts that are in French and Japanese or follow people who are you know in France or Japan who mostly post in um you know their respective languages so yeah um I mean I think I was watching Japanese dramas before I met that professor that I had in Japan but I think that idea of using authentic materials like things that would be authentic to that particular population of Japanese speaking or French speaking people, I think is something that I try to adapt into my life as well. Oh, also radio. I listen to French and Japanese radio sometimes as well. And that helps. So, so um, we are both black women for people who don't know people Mm -hmm. who who are listening and haven't figured it out yet. Um, And I know that, you know, you mentioned a few times um, just in this conversation about being the only Black woman in your study abroad experiences. And um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, I've noticed in this language community that there are so few of us. There are so few Black women who are learning other languages, especially languages that I would say outside of Spanish that are very commonly learned and taught in the U.S. Mm. um, and, you know, maybe in other parts of the world also. Um, I wanted to to ask you, um, what were some of the perceptions and attitudes um, that you had or that you heard about languages um, as you were on this path? And Mm -hmm. if you had any representations of multilingual Black people in your life or in your orbit at all? I think part of it was I was so headstrong that it didn't really matter what um, other people might say. But I think I was also fortunate that no one really was, I didn't get anything negative from the people around me, like in my family or, or whatever. I think it was just something like, oh, Danielle's into languages and international stuff. You know, mm. good for her. So within my family, yeah, I didn't really get anything negative. Uh, My mom was very supportive. I think in general, my family really values education. And so it it doesn't really matter, I guess, what you're studying, so long as you're getting an education. Because that's, (laughs) you know, my grandpa was a principal. Like, a lot of people, like I said, have master's degrees or even doctorates. Like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe only a few doctorates. But, you know, like, educated family. So it's like, okay, this is what you want to study? You're still getting education. You're going to college. Okay, cool. Yeah. So within my family, I didn't, um, it was either like, you know, very neutral or it was really positive. It wasn't like a whole lot of negative stuff going on. 
in my classes, I'm trying to think of representation in my classes. I think um, through, at least from high school, high school and college, there was always at least one other black girl in all of my French classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, yeah, there were at least be one or two. And a lot of times they were black girls. I don't remember. There were other in my head, I'm think I'm seeing the faces of a few black guys here and there who are in my French or Japanese classes. But most of the time, no matter which language class I was in, French or Japanese, there was always at least one other black girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't the only one, but obviously we were like few. You know, we were right. <laughs> the majority in our classes. Um, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that question about like multilingual representation I don't think I had any in my immediate circle and honestly because you know now you have like all these like polyglot youtubers or Mm -hmm. influences influencers that people can look to and to get tips on how to learn this language and how to how to learn a whole bunch of languages and all that stuff and you know I didn't have all that but at the time I don't think I was even looking for all that I think I was just so focused on like I want to learn these languages. I want to get good in these languages. I want to go to France. I want to go to Japan. I think I was just focused on myself (laughs) and what I wanted. (laughs) I wasn't really looking for an example. Um, Maybe if I was, that would have helped a lot, but I I guess I just wasn't thinking about it. But there is one exception. um, And this is a show that I forgot to mention. We were talking about anime, but there's a show called Full Metal Alchemist. Mm. and that show is another one that's like one of the really big ones that anime people know. Um, and it's two different series. There's Full Metal, Full Metal Alchemist and then Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I think technically, even though Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood came later, I think that's more faithful to the source material. Mm-hmm. At least that's what people say. <laughs> but when I was in high school, the only the first series was available. And so, as I mentioned with the theme songs, they switched the theme songs out. And one of the theme songs was sung by a young woman named Crystal K. And I think the song's called Motherland. And I looked up Motherland and I saw it was this black girl singing this Japanese song. Oh, wow. And I was like, who is this? <laughs> I had no idea. They let, they let black girls sing anime theme songs. I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, of course I looked into her and I, I learned that she um, she's actually um, half black and half like her dad's black American. Her mom is Korean, but she was born and raised in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, I guess she's like culturally Japanese or even though she's not ethnically, whatever, um, for, uh, you know, her life is, is, you know, she grew up as a Japanese person, um, even with all her other cultural influences, um, involved. And so I guess her mom was a singer and then she became a singer as well. And so, you know, she's a, for all intents and purposes, she's a Japanese singer. Like that's the entertainment industry that she's been in for much of her life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I discovered her and I was like, oh, oh, wow. Like, man. Okay. So there are black people out here. This is before I knew that they were actual, like, you know, regular black American people also living in Japan for various mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but she really had an impact on me wanting to go to Japan, wanting to learn Japanese. I still kind of have this dream of like moving to Japan and becoming a singer. Do it. But, you know, she was like, a, she was a huge influence. I don't even know if I would have had thought about doing something like that if it weren't for Crystal K. And I still, she's still, 
I still listen to her. I still follow her. She's still active. She's been in the industry for like 20 some years. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's still out here doing it. And she was one of the biggest people in terms of like, uh, I guess, mixed or biracial people. She was one of the first really visible mixed people in um, Japanese entertainment. And a lot of other people who came after her were influenced by her. Like I said, I wasn't really looking for representation. But when mm-hmm. I saw her, I was like, oh, man. So like, there are Black people like out here doing this. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, she's just someone I've never forgotten about. It's so. so funny you say like you weren't really looking for representation because I feel the same like I wasn't actively looking for other people who looked like me who were studying these languages. But I guess in hindsight, what I do think about is how much of a difference it would have made for someone like me. If you told me as a kid I couldn't do something like I really thought of it as it can't be done. Oh, I was man. never the kind of kid who was like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do it anyway. And I feel like if I had had, you know, a singer, if I had had an athlete, if I had, you know, a neighbor, just someone that I could have, you know, looked at and said, well, they can do it. I can do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it would have made like such a big difference. And I, I, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is like I said, I, I feel like I don't see a lot of us out here in, you know, in this language community really talking about our experiences and learning and, you know, especially those of us who do learn languages that aren't maybe as widely spoken around the world. I think like Mm -hmm. I want to try to amplify as many of us as possible um, because maybe there is a girl like me who's, you know, growing up now and people are telling her like no you don't need to learn Cambodian like it's useless and Mm. maybe this is a girl who loves everything about Cambodia and maybe she you know and I don't I don't see any of these experiences as useless because you never know where they're going to take you right life and and who you're going to meet from that from from these experiences so um I think that I'm just going to say, I'm really proud of you for just knowing that this is what you want to do. And you're doing it. (laughs) And I, you know, as somebody who, who like, as somebody who was younger and just didn't have that courage to speak up for herself, like, I, Mm. I really love to hear stories of people who just say, you know what, I'm doing it. And if you don't like it, then you can watch me do it. (laughs) I really appreciate you saying that. Um, You know, I feel like, it's really admirable, you know, the fact that you were like so discouraged when you were younger and now you're doing speaking tongues and you're you're talking <laughs> about languages all the time. Like, I feel like you also found a way to um, stay connected with languages, even though you got, um, you heard so much dismissive things said to you. So, you know, yeah. I'm proud of you as well. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been a long road, girl, but yeah. <laughs> So yeah. another thing we should talk about because you are out here doing it and you're an inspiration. <laughs> you are. You really are. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. Please continue. Sorry. You have a podcast called Young, Gifted, and Abroad. And this is for people listening. Um, you know, we talked about study abroad experiences and and you know what comes with that so Mm -hmm. your podcast I love your podcast what was the inspiration for starting it um for those of us 
listening, for people listening, tell us what the show is about and some of the topics that you discuss. And most importantly, please tell us where we can listen to it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention talking about representation, two of my French professors in college were black. Um, That's awesome. So there was, there was that as well. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that one of them was from Senegal and I don't know where the other one was from, but it was two black women that I had um, among my French professors in college. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, about Young, Gifted and Abroad. Um, <clears throat> so when I was <laughs> going um, to France or to Japan and to France, I went to the same lady to get my hair done. Um, you know, so I wouldn't have to worry about it over the summer. And I remember her, there were other people who said this as well, but I remember she said something like, oh, you know, this is really great. Like, I'm really proud of you doing this. You know, not a lot of us get to do that. And by us, she was talking about Black people, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that was just something that always stuck in my mind because I was like, I mean, yeah, I'm a good student, but it's like, there's nothing about me that makes me more deserving of getting to do these things than anyone else. Like, it doesn't seem really fair that not a lot of us are doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a that was an exchange that I, I never forgot. And then um, I think maybe at some brief period of time, I might have considered trying to start a scholarship, but I didn't even know how to do that. And I didn't have extra funds to do that. So, yeah. But anyway, um, I got into listening to podcasts after I graduated from college. And then um, 2018, uh, I was seeing these different programs popping up where they were gonna like there were some where they would train you to be a producer so like behind the scenes stuff or they would like give you the resources to help you develop your own show that type of thing different mm -hmm. programs popping up in, in 2018 mm -hmm. uh, at least that's when I took notice I don't know how long they've been doing that but um yeah and so I thought oh well hmm I you know I I didn't think I had anything where I would want to be front and center um, but I was thinking, you know, if I had a show, what would it be about? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I was just thinking on that. And then I was like, oh, well, I feel like study abroad would be something I could talk about because um, is it, that's an experience that I have. Um, you know, like specifically people of color studying abroad. Um, I know people, especially coming from MSU, who have that experience and, you know, um, just other people in, that I know who could speak to that as well. Like, oh, I wonder if I could like get some of them to talk to me and I could record it and maybe that could be a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I could see how that goes. I also needed like, I was, it was kind of a, a low point in my life. I think I really needed another creative outlet. Um, I so understand. that <laughs> I was, yeah, cause I'm generally a very creative person, but I feel like, I felt like I needed like a new project of some sort to like, I don't know, feel like I could do things. I don't know. Um, so, so I was like, okay, let me try starting this podcast. And, um, yeah, that's, that's basically what I did. I, my first guest was my cousin <laughs> and I'm always grateful to her for that. She was very gracious in being my very first guest ever. Um, I decided to call it Young, Gifted and Abroad because I, um, I was reading Lorraine Hansberry's To Be Young, Gifted and Black at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I thought of the name. I can't remember how the name came to me like I think I was trying to do something like having to you know incorporate the fact that I'm talking about black people with people of color and I thought oh young gifted and, and 
or young, gifted, and black, maybe young, gifted, and abroad would be nice. And then I started looking into where the phrase young, gifted, and black came from. And I, that led me to Lorraine Hansberry. So I was reading her biography and um, mm-hmm. really felt connected to her creatively. Like, I feel like I got a lot of inspiration and a sense of direction from reading her work in the process of putting the show together. So it's like, I guess that's almost like a homage to her, the name of the show. <laughs> right. Um, of course, a lot of people think of Nina Simone as well, because Nina Simone has that song. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think was a tribute to Lorraine. Um, so, but yeah, so that's how that started. It's been, I started in 2018, so it's been a little over three years now. Uh, launched on Juneteenth, 2018, because that was the day I knew I could remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so I talk to various people of color who have studied abroad um, and I try to keep it as open as possible. So a lot of people have done like the a traditional study abroad program, like I've described, like I've done. Um, but I've also talked to people who have um, done gap years or presented at professional or academic conferences in other countries or who have done volunteering abroad or mm-hmm. grew up abroad for some reason. Or, you know, maybe they did a specific fellowship or something that took them to another country. So I try to keep it, or they did grad school in a mm. different country from their home country, you know. So I try to keep it broad while still having that element of people, you know, pursuing something academically or, you know, furthering their academic uh, pursuits or something that is of strong interest to them. Oh, you, you asked where can it be found? So it's um, everywhere. As far as yeah it's everywhere <laughs> um you know soundcloud apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify yeah all the major places it's there um acast uh, stitcher all that type of thing and it's also on younggiftedunderbroad.com i have a website so what people might not know i try to say this every time but what people might not know is there's the episode right so you can listen to the interview um, or see the people when I post about them on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, that's Young Gifted and Abroad, at Young Gifted and Abroad on Facebook and Instagram, and then at YG Abroad on Twitter, in case y'all want to know. But um, so yeah, there's the episode itself, but also on the website, if you, um, you know, I write a resource list for each episode. So it's mm. like a, a write-up summarizing our conversation and impressions that I got from our conversation, but there's also a resource list for each episode. So it's like, if you're hearing someone talk about something and you want to learn more about exactly how, you know, how did you manage to go study manga in Japan? Or how did you, what, what was the name of that scholarship you used to, mm-hmm. to, to, to teach in Taiwan or, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> or what, how did you find your graduate pro- school program in Italy? How did that go? Like, you know, so I have a, a, a resource list that people can look at as well. And all that's right. all on younggiftedandabroad.com. I will add links to your, to your show and to your social platform in the show notes of this episode. So people can click and they can go check out your, your, your show right away. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Danielle, this conversation has been so lovely, so wonderful. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, likewise. <laughs> likewise. I'd like to end each episode with the same question, and that is, do you have any jokes, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in French or Japanese to share? 
I do. So uh, for Japanese, there's a phrase that goes, um, nantoka naru or nantoka narusa. And that basically, it can be used in like resignation or it can be used in like a sense of, you know, really strong hopefulness. Uh, but nantoka naru basically means everything will be all right. Uh, I think usually it means something like, uh, or like literally, I think it translates to, it will become something or another. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just that sense of, okay, things will work out one way or another, or everything will be okay, or you know, it'll turn out fine. Yeah. So it depends on how you use it. Like, again, you could be just saying it like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to be something, you know, <laughs> or it could be, oh, you know, it's fine. Everything's going to be great mm-hmm. type of uh, a thing. So it depends on the context you're using it, but that's nantoka uh, naru. And then uh, for nan, French, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to try it. Oh, yeah. Um, nantoka naru? Yes. Nantoka naru. Nantoka naru. Yeah. Nantoka naru. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I was saying it quickly, but yeah. Nantoka. Yeah. You were. Wait, you, you want to try it one more time? Nantoka naru. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See? So, there's that. And then for French, I don't really have a, a joke. Well, I have a, I guess, a funny story, if that's okay. Um, I guess yeah. the joke was on me in this instance, oh, but it no. wasn't, it's not like a common French <laughs> joke or anything. Um, so <laughs> in my, um, I remember it was my freshman year. It might've been the first French class I ever took it at MSU. And um, I forgot why we were learning this. We were learning like family related words and yeah, I actually don't remember why we were learning this. But I remember we learned the phrase fe dodo. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard this phrase. Mm-hmm. Fe dodo is like a, it's like baby talk. Um, so, you know, the way it was explained to me, it's like, you know, when parents want their children to go to sleep, they'll say fe dodo. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's time to go to sleep, fe dodo. And um, I was horrified when I <laughs> heard that phrase because I was like, I took it literally and I thought they meant like, they were referring to the actual dodo bird, which is extinct. So mm-hmm. I thought... When they wanted to go, their children to go to sleep, they were telling them like, okay, go be extinct. Like, (laughs) go die now. (laughs) I was like, why would you say that to children? I was so horrified. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's so silly now that I talk about it. But I, I thought, you know, literally when they, (laughs) when they were saying, I thought they were, they were literally saying, go be, you know, do like the dodo and go be extinct for a while that's <laughs> wild i know i know i don't know why my mind went there but when i heard dodo my immediate association was the dodo bird you know which is extinct <laughs> oh my gosh now i feel dumb <laughs> saying this but um dodo. so dodo is short for dormir which means to sleep mm-hmm. in french so they're literally just saying go to sleep but in a cutesy way dodo, you know it's time to dormir um <laughs> So, you know, I, that got rectified pretty quickly, but I just remember at first I was like, I mean, I know French humor is probably different, but why are they telling their babies <laughs> that they want them to be extinct? That's terrible. <laughs> so That's in that instance, funny. the joke was on me because I misunderstood what the word was, what Dodo, oh what Dodo was referring I to. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> thank you again danielle for this conversation before i let you go Mm -hmm. don't think about this too hard okay 
in this situation, after we've been talking for all this time, what would be the best way to say goodbye in either French or in Japanese? Just the first one that comes to mind. Oh, well, in Japanese, you can always say, which means see you later, see you next time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's kind of informal, but yeah. I like that. Um, And then uh, French, uh, there's always like, I guess you could say atutala. Or à tout à l'heure. Don't call me. I might be saying à tout wrong, but I know à tout à l'heure is like one that you can always use. Or ciao. A lot of people don't know that French people also use ciao. So you can say ciao to say goodbye if you like, want to as well. I like ciao. <laughs> <laughs> so we have matane, à tout à l'heure, mm-hmm. or ciao. Danielle, for this conversation. Thank you so much again, and I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thank you very much for having me. I had a wonderful time, and yeah, I look forward to to hearing from you. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye.